Chapter 13 of The Negro in Literature and Art in the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by D. Randall. The Negro in Literature and Art in the United States by Benjamin Griffith Brawley. General Progress. 1918 to 1921. The three years that have passed since the present book appeared have been years of tremendous import in the life of the Negro people of the United States, as indeed in that of the whole nation. In 1918, we were in the very midst of the Great War, and not until the fall of that year were the divisions of the Students' Army Training Corps organized in our colleges, and yet already some things that marked the conflict are beginning to seem very long ago. To some extent, purely literary and artistic achievement in America was for the time being retarded, and in the case of the Negro, this was especially true. The great economic problems raised by the war and its aftermath have very largely absorbed the energy of the race and even if something was actually done, as in a literary way, it was not easy for it to gain recognition, the cost of publication frequently being prohibitive. An enormous amount of power yearned for expression. However, scores and even hundreds of young people were laying solid foundations in different lines of art. And within the next decade, we shall almost certainly witness a great fulfillment of their striving. Yet even for the time being, there are some things that cannot pass unnoticed. Of those who have received prominent mention in the present book, W. E. Burkhardt Dubois and William Stanley Braithwaite especially have continued the kind of work of which they had already given indication. In 1920, appeared Dr. Dubois' Darkwater, Harcourt, Brace, and Company, New York, a strong indictment of the attitude of the white world toward the Negro and other colored peoples. This book belongs rather to the field of social discussion than to that of pure literature, and whether one prefers it to the souls of black folk will depend largely on whether he prefers a work primarily in the wider field of politics or one especially noteworthy for its literary quality. Mr. Braithwaite has continued the publication of his Anthology of Magazine Verse, now issued annually through Small, Mannard and Company, Boston, and he has also issued The Golden Treasury of Magazine Verse, Small, Mannard and Company, 1918. Victory, celebrated by 38 American Poets, Small, Mannered, and Company, 1919, as well as The Story of the Great War for Young People, Frederick A. Stokes and Company, New York, 1919. As for the special part of the Negro in the war, importance attaches to Dr. Emmett J. Scott's Official History of the American Negro in the World War, Washington, 1919 while in biography outstanding is Robert Russell Moton's Finding a Way Out, Doubleday, Page, and Company, Garden City, New York, 1920, a work written in modest vein 
and forming a distinct contribution to the history of the times. Of those poets who have come into prominence within the period now under review, first place must undoubtedly be given to Claude McKay. This man was originally a Jamaican, and his one little book was published in London. But for the last several years, he has made his home in the United States, and his achievement must now be identified with that other race in this country. He has served a long apprenticeship in writing, has a firm sense of form, and only time can now give the full measure of his capabilities. His sonnet, The Harlem Dancer, is astonishing in its artistry, and another sonnet, If We Must Die, is only less unusual in strength. Mr. McKay has recently brought together the best of his work in a slender volume, Spring in New Hampshire and Other Poems, Grant, Richards, and Company, London, 1920. Three young men who sometimes gave interesting promise have died within the period, Joseph S. Carter, Jr., Roscoe C. Jamerson, and Lucian B. Watkins. Cotter's The Band of Gideon and Other Lyrics, The Cornhill Company, Boston, 1918, especially showed something of the freedom of genuine poetry, and mention must also be made of Charles B. Johnson's Songs of My People, The Cornhill Company, 1918, while Leslie Pickney Hill's The Wings of Oppression, The Stratford Company, Boston, 1921, brings together some of the striking verse that this writer has contributed to different periodicals within recent years. Meanwhile, Mrs. Georgia Douglas Johnson has continued the composition of her poignant lyrics, and Mrs. Alice M. Dunbar Nelson occasionally gives demonstration of her unquestionable ability, as in the sonnet, I had not thought of violets of late, crisis, August 1919. If a prize were to be given for the best single poem, produced by a member of the race within the last three years, the decision would probably have to rest between this sonnet and McKay's The Harlem Dancer. In other fields of writing, special interest attaches to the composition of dramatic work. Mary Burrell and Mrs. Dunbar Nelson especially have contributed one-act plays to different periodicals. Angelina W. Grimke has formerly published Rachel, a play in three acts, The Cornhill Company, Boston, 1920, while several teachers and advanced students at the different educational institutions are doing excellent amateur work that will certainly tell later in a larger way. R.T. Brown's The Mystery of Space, E.P. Dutton and Company, New York, 1920, is an interesting excursion in metaphysics and this book calls forth a remark about the general achievement of the race in philosophy and science. These departments are somewhat beyond the province of the present work. It is worthwhile to note, however, that while the whole field of science is just now being entered in a large way by members of the race, several of the younger men within the last decade have entered upon work of the highest order of original scholarship. No full study of this phase of development has yet been made, but for the present, an article by Dr. Emmett J. Scott, Scientific Achievements of Negroes, Southern Workmen, July 1920, 
will probably be found an adequate summary. Maud Cooney Hare has brought out a beautiful anthology, The Message of the Trees, The Cornhill Company, Boston, 1919. And in the wide field of literature, mention might also be made of A Short History of the English Drama by the author of the present book, Harcourt, Brace, and Company, New York, 1921. The general attitude in the presentation of Negro characters in the fiction in the standard magazines of the country has shown some progress within the last three years, though this might seem to be fully offset by such burlesque as are given in the work of E.K. Means and Octavus Warry Cohen, all of which but gives further point to the essay on The Negro in American Fiction in this book. Quite different and of much more sympathetic temper are The Shadow, a novel by Mary White Ovington, Harcourt Brace and Company, New York, 1920, and George Matten Martin's Children of the Mist, a collection of stories about the people in the lowlands of the South, D. Appleton and Company, New York, 1920. In the field of the theater and the drama, there has been progress, though the lower order of popular comedy still makes strong appeal, and of course, all legitimate drama has recently had to meet the competition of moving pictures, in connection with which several members of the race have in one way or another won success. Outstanding is Noble M. Johnson, originally of Colorado, a man of great personal gifts and with a face and figure admirably adapted to Indian as well as Negro parts. In the realm of the spoken drama, attention fixes at once upon Charles S. Gilpin, whose work is so important that it must be given special and separate treatment. It is worthy of note also that great impetus has recently been given to the construction of playhouses, the thoroughly modern Dunbar Theatre in Philadelphia being a shining example. Interesting in the general connection for the capability that many of the participants showed, was the remarkable pageant, The Open Door, first presented at Atlanta University and in the winter of 1920-21, given in various cities of the North for the benefit of this institution. In painting and sculpture, there has been much promise, but no one has appeared who has gone beyond the achievement of those persons who had already won secure position. Indeed, that would be a very difficult thing to do. Mr. Tanner, Mr. Scott, Mrs. Meta Warwick Fuller, and Mrs. May Howard Jackson have all continued their work. Mr. Tanner has remained abroad, but there have recently been exhibitions of his pictures in Des Moines and Boston, and in 1919, Mrs. Jackson exhibited at the National Academy of Design and at the showing of the Society of Independent Artists at the Waldorf Astoria. In connection with sculpture, important is a labor of love, a book, Emancipation and the Freed in American Sculpture by Frederick H. M. Murray, published by the author, 1733 7th Street, Northwest Washington, 1916. This work contains many beautiful illustrations and deserves the attention of all who are interested in the artistic life of the Negro or in his portrayal 
by representative American sculptors. In music, the noteworthy fact is that there has been such general recognition of the value of Negro music as was never accorded before. An impetus toward cooperation and achievement has been given by the new National Association of Negro Musicians. R. Nathaniel Dett has been most active and has probably made the greatest advance. His compositions and the songs of Harry T. Burley are now frequently given a place on the programs of the foremost artists in America and Europe, and the present writer has even heard them at sea. Outstanding among smaller works by Mr. Dead is his superb chariot jubilee, designed for tenor, solo, and chorus of mixed voices, with accompaniment of organ, piano, and orchestra. To the Southern Workmen, April and May 1918, this composer contributed two articles, The Emancipation of Negro Music and Negro Music of the Present. And while continuing his studies at Harvard University in 1920, under the first of these titles, he won a Bowdoin Essay Prize, and for a chorus without accompaniment, Don't Be Weary, Traveler, he also won the Francis Boot Prize of $100. Melvin Charlton, the distinguished organist, has gained greater maturity, and in April 1919, under the auspices of the Verity Club, he conducted Il Travatore in the Grand Ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria. Maud Cooney Hare has helped to popularize Negro music by lecture recitals and several articles in musical journals, the latter being represented by such titles as The Drum in Africa, The Sailor and His Songs, an Afro-American folk song contribution in the Musical Observer. In January 1919, with the assistance of William R. Richardson Baritone, Mrs. Hare gave a lecture recital on Afro-American and Creole music in the lecture hall of the Boston Public Library, this being one of four such lectures arranged for the winter by the library trustees and marking the first time such recognition was accorded members of the race. The violinist Clarence Cameron White has also entered the ranks of the composers with his bandana sketches and other productions and to the musical observer, beginning in February 1917, he also contributed a formal consideration of Negro music. Meanwhile, J. Rosamond Johnson, Carl Ditton, and other musicians have pressed forward, and it is to be hoped that before very long, the ambitious and frequently powerful work of H. Lawrence Freeman will also win the recognition it deserves. In the Department of Singing, in which the race has already done so much laudable work, we are evidently on the threshold of greater achievement than ever before. Several young men and women are just now appearing above the horizon, and only a few years are needed to see who will be able to contribute most. And what applies to the singers holds also in the case of the young violinists, pianists, and composers. Of those who have appeared within the period, Antoinette Smith Garns, who was graduated from the Chicago Musical College in 1919 with the Diamond Medal for Efficiency, has been prominent among those 
who have awakened the highest expectation, and Marian Anderson, a remarkable contralto, and Cleota J. Collins, a soprano, have frequently appeared with distinct success. Meanwhile, Roland W. Hayes, the tenor, has been winning further triumphs by his concerts in London, and generally prominent before the public in the period. Now under review has been Madame Florence Cole Talbert, also the winner of a diamond medal at Chicago in 1916. Madame Talbert has been a conscientious worker. Her art has now ripened, and she has justified her high position by the simplicity and ease with which she has appeared on numerous occasions, one of the most noteworthy of her concerts being that at the University of California in 1920. A list of books bearing on the artistic life of the Negro, whether or not by members of the race, would include those below. It may be remarked that these are only some of the more representative of the productions within the last three years, and attention might also be called to the pictures of the Van Hove statues in the Congo Museum at Brussels in the crisis, September 1920. A Social History of the American Negro by Benjamin Brawley, The Macmillan Company, New York, 1921. Songs and Tales from the Dark Continent recorded from the singing and the sayings of C. Kamba Samango Mda Tribe, Portuguese, East Africa, and Madikang Sele, Zulu Tribe, Natal, Zululand, South Africa, by Natalie Curtis Berlin, G. Shermer, New York and Boston, 1920. Negro Folk Songs, Hampton Series, recorded by Natalie Curtis Berlin, in four books, G. Sherma, New York and Boston, 1918. The Upward Path, A Reader for Colored Children, compiled by Myron T. Pritchard and Mary White Overton, with an introduction by Robert R. Moulton, Harcourt Brace and Company, New York, 1920. J. A. Lomax, Self-Pity in Negro Folk Songs, Nation, August 9, 1917. Louise Palm, Ancestry of a Negro Spiritual, Modern Language Notes, November 1918. Natalie Curtis Berlin, Negro Music at Birth, Music Quarterly, January 1919, and Current Opinion, March 1919. William Stanley Braithwaite, Some Contemporary Poets of the Negro Race, Crisis, April 1919. Elsie Clues Parsons, Joel Chandler Harris, and Negro Folklore, Dial, May 17, 1919. Willis Richardson, The Hope of a Negro Drama, Crisis, November 1919. N. I. White, Racial Traits in the Negro Song, Solony Review, July 1920. Our Debt to Negro Sculpture, Literary Digest, July 17, 1920. C. Bell, Negro Sculpture, Living Age, September 25, 1920. Robert T. Curlin, Present-day Negro Poets, Southern Workmen, December 1920. Robert T. Curlin, Canticles of Love and Woe, Southern Workmen, February 1921. End of Chapter 13